welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, welcome. It's great to have you here with us tonight. And uh, as Tony mentioned, we are in the midst of a series that we started this morning called Theology to Live By. Now, theology is simply the study of God and of religious truth. And for any of you that have spent any time at all reading the Bible, you would certainly understand that it's full of very uh, many interesting things, many intriguing things, even many mysterious things. There's enough in the Bible to stimulate the sharpest of minds. And indeed, over the centuries, many people have devoted themselves to the systematic study of Scripture, trying to collate uh, different verses pertaining to different subjects and to come up with some sort of um, systematic theology or doctrines of truth that we can, t- we can, we can look at different subjects and, and try and learn all there is to know about a different subject, be that the subject of God, be it the subject of Jesus or the subject of angels or demons or whatever. Okay, that's what theology is about. Well, that's, that's nothing about what we're going to be talking about over this series, all right? This series is about a practical theology. We're basically looking at the overarching principles that are going to help us to do life well, irrespective of the questions we might have, irrespective of the confusion that may remain for us around some of these other theologies. I mean, we may not have all the answers with regards to when Jesus is coming back, but nonetheless, we can live well if we understand that he is coming back. We don't need to know exactly when. We don't need to know who the Antichrist is. We don't need to know any of that stuff. We can still live well as Christians if we just have that simple understanding that Jesus will be back and people will be held accountable. Therefore, how we live now is important. Okay, that's, that's an example of, of a theology to live by. And so we, don't, we need to be a little bit aware, I think, or, or beware of theology that's interesting but not overly practical. I mean, I don't know about you, But who cares how many angels you can fit in a Volkswagen? I mean, some people debate, you know, things like that. How many angels can you stand on a pinhead? How many angels can one, how many people can one angel kill at a time? You know, like, you know, there's all these different things that people are looking into. At the end of the day, if it doesn't change the way we live, we don't really need to know it. Okay, so today, tonight, Theology to Live By, part two, we are looking at obedience. And in a moment, I'm going to read to you from Judges chapter six. It will be up on here on the screen for those who don't have Bibles with them. Does anyone actually have a Bible here today? Put up your hand if you still carry one of those paper. Awesome, there's still some. (laughs) Many have got them on phones, I'm sure. But I think it's great to have the Bible with you, be it old school paper you know, with cover on it or be it iPhone or any other type of phone or iPad. or It's great to have the Bible, great to turn to it, great to highlight scriptures as we're reading through them. But we're going to be reading from Judges chapter 6 and uh, this particular um, passage of scripture is sort of situated in a period of history about 1160 BC or thereabouts. And what had happened, if you know at all your, your Bible history, and when Israel went into the land of Canaan, um, they went, um, God sort of, through Moses, spoke to them about the, the promises. Um, if, they, if they obey God, there'll be blessing. If they disobey, there'll be curses, etc. And we see that very quickly after having entered that land, they began to fall into disobedience and idolatry and all, all these other sorts of things. And so God, true to his word, 
began to allow some of the things to happen that he'd, sp- that he'd said would happen. And so we find ourselves in, in a fourth period here of a fourth cycle, if you like, of oppression, persecution upon Israel. We see that um, this, is, this has been going on for seven years. The Midianites had been coming across. They were Israel's neighbours sort of down the south a little bit. And they'd been coming every harvest season, like literally, you know, hordes of them coming over the border and just pillaging and, and just destroying and taking everything of the Israelites. And so basically all the crops were either eaten or, or taken or destroyed. All the livestock, again, taken, eaten or destroyed. The Israelites were under pressure. So much so that at this particular point in time, it said they'd taken to living in mountain clefts and in caves. And we get the picture that they're basically, they're not out, you know, planting crops anymore. They're just basically foraging for whatever they can get. Whatever little bits of of grain happen to to, to land somewhere in in the crevices and they get a bit of wheat, they'll harvest that. They're looking for rabbits. They're looking for whatever they can get their hands on. And that's the season that they're in. In fact, they were so desperate. It says that having abandoned God, having been prostrating themselves before idols, it says they called out to God. They were so desperate. And we see that God responds by sending a prophet and the prophet merely says, well, this is exactly what I said would happen. It's because of your disobedience that you've got these problems. Okay, so that's the background to the passage that I'm just going to read through now. And so picking up in in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Judges, it says this, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, God is with you, or the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, I'm mindful I could have chosen any one of a multitude of scriptures to talk about obedience, and this particular one might seem a little bit odd um, in its first reading. But the reason I've chosen this particular scripture is because I can relate so well to Gideon, and I trust that you can too. Some of the guys, like Abraham and David, you know, they've, they've got a whole bunch going on. They, they've, they're together guys. But Gideon's not. I mean, he gets confronted with God and, and he starts questioning. I mean, you know, that's. Quite insolent, really, isn't it? When you start having, you know, the angel of the Lord appears and you start having a go about God. Where is God? Well, what about all these miracles then? Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least. In my entire family. Again, we see a guy here who's got a a low self-image. He's got a negative confession. All the things you shouldn't have if you're a a super, I'll say Christian. But you know what I mean. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Doubt. Who can relate to doubt? And we know that Gideon, one of the things he's famous for is that whole fleecing incident where he's been asked to do something and he just needs, needs confirmation, needs more confirmation, needs more confirmation. Don't go away until I come back and bring an offering to you. He, uh, he answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home 
He cooked a young goat. I sometimes get jealous when I read these scriptures of just the, <laughs> the time people had. Just, you know, just someone drops in, I'll just go and cook a goat. I'll bake some bread. I mean, goodness me. Anyway, like he didn't have a goat in the fridge. I mean, he's got that thing fresh. Anyway. Then, carrying the meat in a basket and with the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had bought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realised it was an angel of the Lord, he cried, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. There's that negativity again. Definitely a glass half-empty guy, Gideon. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you've cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople. He was a chicken as well. There you go. So who can relate to Gideon thus far? I certainly can. Just want to just, a couple of things I want to say before I start talking about some of the reasons why we need to take this whole deal of obedience seriously. But the first thing is, we need to understand that God actually speaks. God speaks to every one of us. He's spoken through his revealed word, the Bible. But over and above that, he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And every one of us, I am sure, in this room at some point in their life has heard and probably right now is hearing the voice of God. Even through preaching comes the the voice of God as well. Okay, So God speaks and we need to be ready to hear his voice. God is calling us initially back to himself because the Bible talks about the fact that You know, we're born into this world separated from God because of the sin in our lives. But he calls us back to himself and then he calls us into partnership with him. The second thing about obedience is not just that God speaks and calls us to obey, but secondly is that obedience is actually pretty hard. It doesn't come naturally. The Bible again talks a lot about the fact we have a bias towards disobedience. We all find it easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing. Again, you see a sign, wet paint on a seat, what do you do? Do you think, oh, wet paint, better leave that alone. No, you go up and you go, oh, I wonder if it's real. And we just, we're just drawn towards doing the wrong thing. We're drawn towards disobedience. Wet concrete. We just do the wrong thing. It's easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing. And Paul, in Romans chapter 7, talks about that battle that goes on. The things I don't want to do, they're the things I do. 
the things I want to do, man, wish I'd get those right. So God speaks and he calls us to obey. But obedience is hard. I want to look at three reasons tonight why we need to embrace a lifestyle of obedience. And the first thing is like so basic. Almost feel embarrassed to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Obedience pleases God. That's why we should obey God. Because it pleases Him. It's obvious, but obedience brings a smile to God's face. You know, Israel were experiencing the displeasure of God because of their disobedience. But conversely, God, that wasn't God's first position. That was his response to the disobedience. He wanted to bless them. He wanted to be able to deal with their enemies. He wanted there to be plenty of um, fruit and crops and livestock for them. He's, he laid that out so clearly. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And unfortunately, Israel had fallen into, and this was right through their history, we see this pattern they fall into. They would rather kill a sheep and do the, do the wrong thing and then kill a sheep and pretend it's all okay than do the right thing in the first place. In other words, they'd rather put on a religious show than do the right thing. But the reality is that there's no, a religious show is never a substitute for good old-fashioned obedience. Sadly, our tendency, having done the wrong thing, is to try harder, to perform more. And how many times, maybe I'm talking to people in this room, maybe I'm in good company, but we mess up and we go and we worship more extravagantly. We jump a little higher, we clap a little louder, we sing a little bit more out of tune. <laughs> we might give more. We might pray longer. We might start to volunteer. And all of these things sometimes can be a cover-up because we know that the one thing that God is speaking to about us is the one thing that we're not doing. So we're trying to appease him by making sacrifices elsewhere. God says, man, I don't want sacrifices. Why should some poor lamb get it in the neck? Because you're choosing to disobey me. I don't want your sacrifices. I just want you. I just want your obedience. John chapter 15, and that's Old Testament, but the New Testament has the same message flowing through it. Jesus himself said this in chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. It says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There are a lot of miserable Christians around. And I'm just wondering if it's not got something to do with this little scenario here. That joy is linked to obedience. You know, we're talking about being in the good books with someone. Well, I think you can be in God's good books or God's bad books. Now, you could, you could again, theologically say, oh, we're all in the good book. If we've confessed Jesus, say we're all names are in the Lamb's book of life. And we, could, we could go on and make a, a, build a case there and miss the point. Are we in fellowship with God? Do we have his smile upon our life? Or is he standing there, arms crossed, tapping his feet, waiting for us to get the message? That's not a denial of God's grace. You know, some... 
you know, the grace of God is, is some, you know, certainly there's a, there's a portion of the church today that is so grace-centered, so grace-focused, that they've turned it into a license to do whatever you like. God never intended that. Jesus calls, into, into us, calls us into a relationship with him. And a relationship with him is really no different than a relationship with anyone else. If we obey, things are sweet. If we don't, it gets tense. If we claim to have fellowship with Christ and yet we carry on in willful disobedience, at very least, at very least, the relationship with God, grace aside, will be strained. It's the grace of God that brings us into relationship when we don't deserve it initially. It's the grace of God that sustains us in our human weakness. But the Bible does talk about the fact that if we willfully go on sinning, what sacrifice is left? Think about your family. Again, if appropriate levels of responsibility are taken, again, you know, we've got a family that ranges from younger to older, and so there are different levels of responsibility. There's different levels of expectation. But as long as people are taking an appropriate level of responsibility and doing their best to get along, things are sweet. But if they're not taking an appropriate level of responsibility, and if they're at each other, dad's not happy. They're still loved, they're still part of the family, there is still grace, but the relationship is strained. They're not happy because I'm not happy. And again, for many of us, there are times when perhaps the reason we're not so happy is just because God's not so happy with where we are at that particular moment. Gideon's obedience, I think, made God happy. Because in, the spite, in spite of his doubts, his negativity and everything else, he actually did what he was asked. So obedience pleases God. That's my first point tonight. My second point is this, that obedience is true worship. True worship. Now, when I say worship straight away, you think of singing, you think of instruments, you maybe you think of dancing and shouting, and you think of a whole bunch of things that, that we classify as worship. Maybe, maybe you think of slow songs as opposed to fast songs because fast songs are praise. Is that right? No, it's not. Don't worry about it. Old joke. All right. But you know what I'm saying? We think of something, and it generally pertains to coming before God and, and, and singing and, and, and praising and, and expressing sweet nothings. That's what most people think of as worship. But worship is more than that. Worship is a demonstration. Any demonstration that, that says to God how much he is worth to us is worship. In fact, any demonstration of, of, to anyone that demonstrates how much they are worth is, is really technically worship. The length to which we go to prioritise someone indicates how much we value them. God's complaint about his people was this. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, Gideon spoke with God that day and he used the term Lord. He was very respectful at that point. He went on to make an altar and he called it God is peace. And those things could be classified as worship, but we don't really, really see the value that he placed on that encounter until he actually goes and tears down his father's altar and builds an altar to God. 
The true worship, I believe, was seen in the obedience. Because that was the statement of worth. At that particular time, up until then, it was, it was, it was fine. It didn't cost him too much at all. It was an encounter. Didn't say too much about the value of that encounter until he does something which says, God, you're worth more to me than my reputation in this town. God, you are worth more to me than my relationship with my family and with my friends. And in fact, he went further than that because he really said, God, you are worth more to me than my very life because I could die for doing this thing. In fact, if you read on, and I encourage you to do so later on, you will find that's exactly the way people respond. They wanted to kill him for what he did. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. It says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Sometimes the Bible is too plainly obvious, isn't it? I mean, you know, you've got people out there, we're talking about theology and all sorts of you know, mysterious things. Some people are out there looking to break Bible codes and you know, counting numbers and counting letters and trying to work out you know, what's really in there. Right, don't worry about that. If we can read what's plain and we can put that into practice, I think we're going to do very well. We see Peter and John, having heard those words a little bit later on, we see them in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Jesus, the last thing he said to them was go into all the world and preach the gospel. We see they start to do that straight away. They encounter opposition. And the leaders, the religious leaders of the day bail them up and they say, you'd better be quiet. You'd better shut up, stop what you're doing. And they said, hey, judge for yourselves. Is it right if we obey God or man? That's worship. That's a statement right there about what they value most. Again, it's not about their reputation. It's not about what people think. It's not about their family. It's not about their friends. It's not even about their life. It's about God, holy and solely. When we obey God, in whatever it might be, it may be a large thing. It may be a small thing. Often it's the small things that God's calling to us to, certainly initially. And again, this all sort of ties in with what Tom was sharing about this morning, the process. What is God calling us to do now? Don't wait for an angelic visitation. Don't wait to get the call to change your nation overnight. It won't come. It's in the small things that we know to do that we will show God how much we value our relationship with him. I value your approval more than anyone else, God. That's why I'm going to make adjustments in my marriage. I've not been a good husband. I trust you more, God, than I trust myself or anyone else. That's why I'm going to stand up and be counted for you, irrespective of what could possibly go wrong in the natural. I honour and respect you more than anyone else. That's why I'm going to obey you. It's all worship, isn't it? Haven't mentioned singing. It's just about the very tenor of our life, just emanating the value of God to us. I want to submit to you, Lord, more than anyone else. All are expressions of worship. And even obedience to others 
is obedience to God because God calls us to be obedient to our parents, to our leaders, to our bosses, etc. And so we can't just say, well, I'm just going to ignore them to obey God. It's not that simple. The third thing, so obedience pleases God. Obedience is actually true worship. And thirdly, obedience is powerful. Obedience is powerful for several reasons. Firstly, it's powerful because it overrides our shortcomings. The reason I chose this scripture is because when I read it some time ago, the thing that stood out to me is that Gideon breaks all the rules. I mean, you can go to Kurong and you can fill your trolley, you can fill your boot, you can fill your car with books on why you need to have a positive confession, about why you need to have faith that moves mountains, about why you need to not doubt, why you need to be a person who is a glass half full person, not a half empty person, about why you need to be strong and courageous and all of those sort of things. You can be the expert on all of those things and do nothing. But Gideon, in one act of obedience, overcame all his shortcomings. You know, some people, they can trot out their position in Christ. They can quote Ephesians. They can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, etc., etc., etc. Got it all down pat and do nothing. It's useless. They are still victims. Positive confession, faith, as I've said, all of these things. You know, you can get on the internet, you can download Joyce, you can down, there's so many, there's so much good teaching out there. And all of it's true to a measure. But just a positive confession on its own. Just a positive self image on its own. Just naming it and claiming it. Just doing all those things that are, you know, have kind of ingrained themselves in church culture can be, if we're not careful, at the expense of actually just doing the next thing that God's calling us to do. And so all of that potential is nullified because we don't actually do anything. Think of Gideon. He could have stayed where he was. He could have been dictated to by his negativity, by his fears, by his doubts, by his worries and all that. He would have done nothing. And we wouldn't have read about him. Israel may or may not have changed. God probably would have got someone else. But we're reading about him tonight because he allowed all of that sort of thing to be dealt with through obedience. Let's not just be one of those Christians who'd rather read another book, listen to another sermon, get another degree, do anything but what God is saying. Let's love our wives. Let's forgive our pastors. Let's... Let's do whatever we've got to do, whatever God is calling us to do, because it'll help us to overcome the other things that we may be struggling with. The second reason that obedience is powerful is simply this, that God's ways are best. Obeying God, guess what? Obeying God is for our benefit, not his. You know, sometimes we think if I obey God, I'm doing him a favour, I've got news for you. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. When he gave the Ten Commandments, that wasn't about God. That was about us. That was about his people. It's like, live this way and you'll be blessed. Think about relationships. We can do relationships God's way and we can be relationally rich. We can build a heritage. We can have a a generation that go on and are blessed from 
one to the next if we do things God's way. If we step outside of God's way, what happens is relational carnage. And people suffer unnecessarily from one generation to the next. God's way is about us, not about him in the first instance. The same thing applies in every area of life. There's a way to do business. We can do it God's way. We can do it with honesty and integrity and openness and those sorts of things. Or we can be shady and shifty and we can rip people off left, right and centre. And ultimately we will, we will live in the bed that we make for ourselves. We'll be respected. People will speak highly of us. They'll make recommendations or they'll say, don't go near that guy. We'll rise or fall on our obedience to God. His ways are there for all to read. In society, again, we can embrace the word of God and we can have laws in our land that reflect God's will for society and we can call sin, sin and we can call good, good and we can reward good and we can punish sin and we will be blessed. Or we can call evil good and we can call good evil and we'll be cursed. We don't have to look too far to make a judgment on that one. So God's will is good. And finally, God backs those doing his will. God backs those doing his will. Judges chapter 6, verse 14 and 16. Gideon, uh, God said to Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Or the lack of strength you may feel you have. And the clincher is, I will be with you. If, we will, if you will obey me, Gideon, I will be with you. He goes on. It talks about this, <clears throat> this army that they are fighting. It was so numerous. It says it was like, by the time they finished each season, it was like locusts had been through. Now, if you've seen a locust plague, there's not like a single <clears throat> leaf left on a tree. And this is what he's against, these hordes. It says they covered the land. Their camps were everywhere. But God, Gideon says to, to, uh, sorry, God says to Gideon, but for you, fighting them will be like fighting one man because I will be with you. When we get involved in God's program, rather than trying to bring him over into ours, when we get involved in God's program, we find his presence. We find his strength. We find his wisdom. We find his blessing. When we do our own thing, at best, all we get is our own strength. Go in the strength that you have and good luck. Go in the wisdom you have and good luck. Go in the niceness you have and good luck. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is go in the strength you have, go in the and I will resist you. Because God has a program. God has an agenda. God has a purpose for our lives. And His commitment is to bring us into that purpose. And so if we get with the program, if we submit ourselves to God, we find His blessing. And he will go, we will go with him. We'll have momentum. We'll get in the flow. But if we start to go elsewhere, we'll find God beginning to hem us in and begin to undermine us and, and undo our plans, not because he wants to get revenge, but because he loves us and he has something better in mind. Gideon, through his obedience, went on to defeat his people's enemies. He became the person that the angel addressed him as in the beginning. Remember the strange encounters like mighty warrior. New, new international version, I think it is, but I read from the NLT, it says mighty hero. 
Gideon thinks, looks around, just me. But I'm the least of the least. My clan is small and weak, and I'm the smallest and weakest in my clan. But as he was just obedient, he found God's strength, and he became the mighty warrior. And that's what God's calling us to do. I would encourage you to read on for yourselves in that story because I don't have time to do it tonight. But obedience pleases God. Obedience is true worship. And obedience is powerful. You'll be surprised at what God can do in your life and how God can use your life. If you'll stop worrying about all your inadequacies and just be obedient to the next thing that God is calling you to. We've heard that many times from this pulpit. Tone's spoken about his perception and his struggle. It's a struggle that I had similarly. I never thought I would get married. I was so afraid of ever having to speak in front of people. I thought I couldn't get in front of a congregation of people and actually say, I do. That is just too much to ask. But God called me into teaching. And then God called me to Mildura. And then God called me. And just along the way, it's just been saying the little yeses. Again, it's, I'm reiterating what Tone spoke about this morning. Process. It, it all kind of, you can't have one without the other. We're talking about theology to live by. God doesn't speak in a vacuum. He prepares you for what he's calling you to and he reinforces it. Again, Gideon, I can only assume if his dad had an altar to Baal, that Gideon was influenced by that. But the prophet of God had come and said, You're having these problems because of your disobedience. And something must have gone off inside Gideon. Something inside must have resonated with him so that when he had that encounter, he'd been prepared. And I believe for every one of us, God comes and doesn't doesn't come out of the blue, but he's preparing us. It might be things you've read. It might be things people have said. But God's will for your life, God, that, that next step of obedience, you know what it is. What's God calling you to be obedient to tonight? In closing, I just want you to think about that. Don't underestimate the importance of obedience in the little things. If we will be obedient in the little things and we can bring together the sum total of our obedience in the little things in this church and if the churches across Adelaide can bring together the sum total, I believe we can change this nation. I believe we can change the world ultimately. If we will be obedient in the little things. If we just sit back and wait, I'll be obedient to the big thing when it comes. I'll be obedient to leading the nation as Prime Minister. Well, that may never happen if we are not obedient in the little things. Like I said, in your relationships, don't come to church and sing louder and jump higher and lift your hands more frequently than anyone else if you're abusing your wife. First, stop abusing your wife. Then start loving your wife practically, speaking well of her, encouraging her, strengthening her. And then when you come to church, jump as high as you like, sing as loud as you like. Because otherwise it's just hypocrisy. It's just a sacrifice without obedience. Obedience to parents, young people particularly. Likewise, don't come here and put on a show for all your friends and go home and be the snotty-nosed little whatever that brings a bad reputation at home. The Bible talks about forgiveness. 
If you've been abused, it's not right, it's not good, it's because someone else has disobeyed the word of God along the way. But we're called to forgive. We're called to move on. We're called to as much as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone. Maybe God's saying, invite that person to church. And you're like, well, but Lord, what will they think? They'll think I'm a Bible basher. They might say no. They might tell everyone at work and then they'll start paying me out for being a Christian. And oh, just do it. Just do it. Speak up. Step out. Whatever it is that God is asking of you right now, just go for it. Don't hang back. Just go for it. And you'll be surprised at what God will do in your life. Don't run away. Just embrace it. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.